Welcome to the Pocket Coven Podcast, where magic meets mental health. I'm Amber Lenore, a witch and licensed psychotherapist. I'm Callie Little, a sex educator and emotional support witch, and we're the coven in your pocket. Hi, Callie. Hello, Amber. (laughs) We are gathered here today. Oh, my God. For a, a really special episode, we're both, I, I know we're both really fucking stoked. We've been really fucking stoked for days. <laughs> Literally four days, um, especially because what we're going to talk about in this podcast, in this episode, is something that is so cool and we have actually kept it a secret from almost everybody in our lives. <laughs> because it's a big fucking deal and we really wanted to debut this um announcement news on the pod. Yeah, it's yeah, it's been a little hard to sit on it. We've anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> Let's start um, at the start. Yeah, let's begin at the beginning. I uh how I don't know, what is even the beginning, Callie? The beginning is the episode that we did on ancestors. Yes, yes. Okay. That's a great place to start. So we did our ancestor episode and I uh I was having a real, you know, like not a scripted experience, a real experience the whole time. And I really want to take a moment and just appreciate uh, Sarah so much. Um, mm-hmm. I'm starting to tear up a little bit because life has been weird and I'm not super connected to Sarah right now. And I I just need her to know and I need the world to know that she brought this into my life and I'm already, yeah. Anyway, it's been an mm-hmm. emotional time. And so I, yeah, I left that episode feeling really opened up and really invigorated um, mm-hmm. as I wipe my tears away. <laughs> and I just decided on Halloween to order my 23andMe kit. Mm-hmm. So when is been- a good time to do that. Yeah, it's the ancestors holiday and that just felt like okay, sure. Let's just finally do this. So it's this is a big deal for me to be doing in my life. I have been very resistant to the idea of uh, ancestry or genealogical work for a long time. Yeah, why does so much resistance come up for you? Well, I I think that it comes up for me because I have made many attempts to know where I come from throughout my life that have all been either fruitless or confusing or mm. sad and, and hurtful. I I didn't grow up with my dad, so mm-hmm. my dad is now passed away. He died in 2017 of a methamphetamine-fueled heart attack, you know, Mm -hmm. where he was living in a motel and had been um, a drug user for his whole life and was not good to women and was not good to my sisters. Um, And he was a complicated guy, let's just Mm -hmm. say that. Um, A Scorpio that came from two other Scorpios. So... um, Oh, wow. Yeah, I know, right? His, I think his parents had the first or the same birthday. Anyway, so my dad, uh, he left early on, which was a mixed blessing and curse. Uh, His departure freed me from his abuse, but made room for another abuser, right? So when I was 12, my stepfather really wanted to adopt me, something that I was very resistant to, but felt pressure to do. And my condition was that I wanted to meet my dad. 
and I, I just wanted to know him. My last memories are from when, from when I'm like four. And my dad didn't show up to the meeting with this lawyer who was going to hold space for me and my father to know each other. So I just, I remember that being a very formative experience and I just felt like I wanted to get away from who I am as much as possible. And mm. I don't want to know where I come from. And then as I got older, that changed a bit. So I found my half sisters. Uh, my father had other daughters in 2011 on Facebook. My sisters, Hazel and Lindsay, who I love and I've had a relationship <laughs> with since. And they are beautiful. Um, and they, uh, Lindsay has two daughters also. So getting to know them was connecting. And I started to feel like, okay, let's, let's figure out a little bit more about this ancestry of mine. Because mm-hmm. what I grew up with was, uh, let's see, I was told first that I was Irish. I was told next that I was Cherokee. Then when I was a teenager, I was told that some relative did some research somewhere and it turns out from, we're from Latin America. And then I heard French and then I heard um, Lakota and then I heard other parts of Sioux Nation. And when I did ancestry work last year, my sister Hazel connected me with all of these um, pictures and stories from Ancestry.com validating that I had some mythical um, <laughs> uh, Native American grandmother. So mm-hmm. I've, been, I've just been told so many things throughout my life, and I've never known how much to lean into any of it mm-hmm. because because I just don't actually know. Like I said, uh, you know, I tried to know my father. I couldn't know my father. My mother was cut off from her parents. Um, even if I did know my father, his parents were dead. Like everything was just like, you don't come from anywhere. You come from nowhere. Mm-hmm. So when people in my life started figuring out who they were, I just was like, yeah, that's not for me. I don't want to know. I don't even want to fucking know. Like I'm going to, I'm going to get a 23 and me and it's going to say you're from nowhere. It's going to say inconclusive or you're from everywhere. Actually, like you just have ancestors everywhere and you come from a rootless traditionless line of grifters or something, (laughs) you know, like that, that's just how it felt, you know, because I've been told I'm, I'm everything under the sun and none Mm -hmm. of it has made any sense. That's my, that's my long (laughs) rant about why I, it was hard to order a kit. Yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense. You know, it, it's hard not having that sense of family that it seems like everybody has. And it's also like there's there's privilege that we have, that we had, you know, a hundred plus dollars that we each were able to spend on these kits. There are a lot of different ways that you can look into your ancestry that don't necessarily cost the price of an Ancestry.com membership or a 23andMe kit. You know, for me, those felt really far away and, like, I I didn't have access to them because I didn't know how to use them. Um, Like, there's a website that's called, like, Wikitree. They are harder to use if you don't already have some, like, hard evidence. I just want to point out that even if, someone doesn't have the monetary resource to pay for something, there are ways you can look things up. It just does take more determination. And, you know, if you 
really want to get a DNA kit, you can wait out the sales and stuff. Like there's always a Black Friday sale. There's always like a Mother's Day sale, a Father's Day sale because they're, you know, family holidays. Um, and you can always ask your pals, let them know like what I really want for my birthday or for Yule or whatever is this thing. If you can pitch in 10 bucks toward that. Um, I, I've given somebody an ancestry like kit before and you know, Amber, I've been doing your tree. So (laughs) crowdsource. Yeah. With the help of, um, Maria, who I just want to shout out and say, thank you so much for, um, helping me with the resources. Cause I don't have, I, I, I like, yeah, it, it was difficult to decide to spend $75. I did use a sale and I went with the cheapest option, which didn't include the health data. Um, but it's just, it's what I could stand to pay. I was like, all right, I can do $75. And then with the help of friends who have ancestry.com memberships, right. I've been able to find out so much more. Yeah. I, I would not have my ancestry.com family tree if it wasn't for Morea, not only helping me build mine, but to build mine on her account. Uh, it is an expensive membership and it's not something that would be accessible to me without the help of my friend. And she was so excited to help me help you and to help you herself. Um, and we will get into the why that is so exciting later on in the episode, but you know, we've talked about why it was challenging to decide to do it, but like, it's been a couple of years since I went through the process of doing the 23 and me test. Like remind me, tell the listeners, what do you do? Yeah. Well, after making the choice and just ripping off the bandaid, I, I ordered it as quick as I could. It's like, okay, fine. Here. Bye. <laughs> ah, I did it. I got a kit in the mail that had a little test tube and I read through the booklet a lot of times cause I just didn't want to mess it up. And I, it's really simple. I opened a tube and then I put a good glob of spit in there. There's like a little line to where you fill it. And then it looks like there's like a preserving media medium. So you break open this other little packet and then you fill it with the spit and then you put a cap on it and they give you a return envelope and box and you just send it. I just put it right back in the mailbox and waited for the mailman to take it. And I got the app and then I was able to track it and see when it was arriving in Los Angeles. And they tell you all the different steps of, um, you know, when it's received, when they're genocoding uh, or genocoding. That's how, how much I know about this process. Genotyping. I don't know. <laughs> You're like, sounded right to me. Um <laughs> Yeah. And then I, all of a sudden one day the results came back and it took about four weeks. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) I really had forgotten how it goes. And now that you are telling me about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I did just sit there and spit and spit and spit into this little vial. Cause you have to get a lot of spit in there. Anyway, let's, uh, Let's get into it. So you you sent it off and you got your results and and then you opened them? Yes, I opened them and I was in disbelief. I was shocked at what 
I found. I was shocked that there was any conclusive information because you got to remember, you know, listeners, I'm going into this feeling completely rootless. Like I come from absolutely nowhere because that's always just been the truth of it. And come to find out that I am... It, the 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 uh, the numbers change. Callie got eighty eight percent when she looks at mine, and I get eighty two percent Irish. So I am mostly Irish and British. So the British Isles, which I am now learning about, um, were pretty much from what I am reading. I am not a historian on Irish or Celtic heritage yet. Um, they were all just kind of the same population of people, and then were socially and politically separated. So. Um, the, the genealogy and the ancestry just shows my uh, my lineage coming from just this one concentrated spot. So I'm looking at this map, and it's all gray and white except this one spot, Ireland and Britain, that are just lit up. And then, um, so let's see, after that, there's just a little bit more left. There's some French. There's like 16% French, which I did hear about from my sisters. That comes from my father's side. And so that part was right. And what I heard growing up from my mother, at least, that was true. So some of the things I heard were true. My mom said, we're just a big Irish family. And that is true. And then um, the French is true. I did not know the I had 0.4% Scandinavian and 0.9% West African. So those are these trace amounts that came up. But for the most part, yeah, I come from the Emerald Isle, (laughs) which is totally strange. Mm -hmm. There is no indigenous anywhere at all. There's no Native American. And this whole... uh, almost like uh, the myth of the Cherokee grandmother seems to go back. It goes back Mm -hmm. many generations. I found a first cousin who also got a 23andMe. There's no picture. There's no information. The bio just says, is my grandmother a Native American? Question mark. That's all it says. And I found these stories, uh, these accounts on message boards that my half-sister Hazel sent me. Uh, just talking so much about this this fabled um, American Indian lineage and all of these stories have been passed down. I don't know what grandmother got really into indigenous spirituality <laughs> and then right. just started saying this shit, but there is literally none on my father's side. So I, I yeah, yeah, it was not true. I want to say, uh, you know, for the genetic nerds out there, while it is possible to have an ancestor whose DNA isn't in, you know, DNA results, like Amber could have some indigenous heritage somewhere and it's just not a DNA strand she carries. Um, we also are doing this research into her family tree and just finding no reason to think that any of these rumors are true. And it feels like just more of, you know, like my grandfather who was born and raised in Alabama. I'm sorry, Tennessee. They moved to (laughs) Alabama. Um, But I remember, you know, he went on a trip home in his later years. I feel like he was in his 70s. And I remember when he got back, he was like, Callie, I found out one of our great grandmothers was a Cherokee princess. Oh, and yeah. I remember being like, that sounds like bullshit. But also <laughs> it's, you know, that's a, it's just a fable of 
us white Americans wanting to feel like we're somehow special by over-identifying with something that our ancestors tried to snuff out. Totally. Yeah. It's classic appropriation, really. And I'm I'm glad that I got a, a DNA test to figure out where mm-hmm. my ancestors are from in part because I really just didn't want to be taking up space and claiming indigenous heritage when I actually don't know that that's true. Right. And in my twenties, that was something that I did. Like I didn't know the things that I know now. Right. Which isn't an, a good excuse, but it's a reason. And I felt okay mm-hmm. about just like hearsay claiming like, yeah, I'm part indigenous. Like, you know, and then as I've gotten yeah. older, I'm like, you know what? I don't actually fucking know that. And I really shouldn't be saying that when I don't know. So let's find out. Let's, let's be a little bold and find out. I also felt the same way about Irish heritage. So I, God, the number of times I've heard a white person be like, I'm basically Irish. Like people say this all the time. And Mm -hmm. I did a little research into that. And 10% of Americans identify, they self-identify. So not through ancestry or DNA research, they self-identify as being somehow Irish in some kind of way. Mm -hmm. Nearly six times the population of Ireland in America claims to be Irish. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that the Irish are also highly romanticized. They're very magical people. So I also didn't know how much to lean into any of that either. And Mm. yes, of course, I think it's very, very cool and magical that I'm almost 100% Irish. and, And now I feel okay about leaning into that. Like even when I started using the wheel of the year or I started using neo-pagan concepts or pre-Christian traditions, I felt strange about that. I was like, am I, am I appropriating a culture that I don't actually belong to? Is this okay for me to use? Um, what the fuck am I? Like, what are the traditions of my ancestors? And so now I get to look into that. Yeah. There's, There's a lot of mystery in getting to know the self. And one of the ways that you can really look into who you are is with therapy. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Therapy is very helpful for exploring the self. (laughs) What says the licensed marriage and family therapist? it's my bias. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm a big fan of therapy too. And so y'all know what is coming. It is our ad for our partners at BetterHelp. I was really excited. This was actually the very first sponsor that you and I reached out to mm-hmm. because we really wanted to build relationships with actual therapeutic tools into the podcast. One of the biggest struggles I have as a therapist is just wrestling with the inaccessibility of mental health treatment. So because BetterHelp can do therapy from their home and do it remotely, that means that people, you know, they don't have to go anywhere, which can actually be a thing. Like if you don't have a car or access, getting to a clinic can actually be difficult. Mm-hmm. So just the convenience of being able to be at home, I think is really important. And then that increases the possibility that people will actually utilize therapy. Yeah. I know that it has felt like a significantly lessened burden for me to be able to do therapy from home just on my phone. And I really hope that the world just gets more comfortable with virtual therapy in general because of where we're at in the world. I agree. And I think it's important that mental health consumers 
have the ability to have a say in who their provider is. As a therapist, I definitely, you know, I meet a new client and I'm like, well, you know, I don't think we're a good fit. So can I help you find someone who is? Or they tell me I'm not a good fit and that's fine. I think we really need to normalize that. And with BetterHelp, you can change anytime and choose a different provider if they're not a good fit for you. Because likely, you know, you're, you might need to try on, you know, a few different kinds of providers before you find the one that's right for you. Having therapists who are capable of helping me with my specific needs and to say that they offer that worldwide is really cool to me. Mm -hmm. Really like that BetterHelp has financial aid available for people. This is a long-term therapeutic process, so this isn't a crisis line. It's different than that. It is not a self-help line. It's different than that. So it's a therapeutic relationship that needs to build consistently. So that's what you can get. And because BetterHelp is partnering with us, you can go to betterhelp.com slash pocket coven, and you can actually get 10% off of your first month. If within that time you decide you don't like your therapist, you can, as Amber said, just easily switch to a different one. It's super accessible and it's betterhelp.com slash pocket coven. That will get you 10% off. It'll get us just a little bit of a kickback. So it's a great way to support the podcast and your well-being at the same time. So now that we're back from the break, Amber... I want to talk about the other things that were found in your DNA. It's very exciting. <laughs> Do you, how about you tell the story? Because <sighs> I've already kind of, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, at this point who it makes sense for either of us to tell it. So I was really excited to find out, um, you know, like where, like what counties, you know, your ancestors were from in Ireland, because I also have a great deal of Irish ancestry and you and I both have like London ancestry. So I sent you an invitation to connect as soon as you got your results. I wanted to see them. I was so excited and I sent it, you like immediately connected and then pop up and, uh, you and Amber are fifth cousins. (laughs) So Callie just sends me a voice memo and that says, are you seeing that we're cousins? Are you seeing this? And I was still trying to figure out on the app, like (laughs) how to even see your ancestry. And it's been blowing my mind for what the last four days that me and Callie are are relatives are related, not even that distant. So we have a mutual pair of grandparents that would be our great, 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 great grandparents. Yeah. Well, likely. I mean, it could be, you know, give or take a generation. It's based on the percentage of DNA we have in common, which is Mm 1.1%. But for two adult orphans, essentially, uh, and two people who have been estranged from both of their parents, you know, you do have your relationship with your mother now, but that hasn't always been the case. You two have had really beautiful repair mm-hmm. and, and neither of us has family really, except for what we've made for ourselves. And you and I have been in each other's chosen families for so long. So to find out that I have a family member, like a biological family member who's been in my life for 10 years 
is wild. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And it's so I, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And I, I think about when we met, we we met through Tumblr and <laughs> which is funny to remember. And just connected really immediately. I remember the first time I spoke to you, I was on the mm-hmm. phone in Boston, a place that my grandfather was born, a place as if there were many. He was born in Boston anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was at an uncomfortable dinner for my then boyfriend who was going to Harvard and everybody just treated me like, yeah, like poor white trash. So I, I went outside to have this phone call with this girl that I met on Tumblr who wanted to know about being a doula and just couldn't stop talking to you, just kept talking to you. And I remember Mm -hmm. those early talks when I was living in Boston before I moved back to Seattle and feeling the sense of connection to you that just has grown consistently Mm -hmm. over the last decade. And in part because we both felt rootless and felt like Mm -hmm. we belonged to no one and Mm -hmm. are for better uh, for better words, like sovereign. Right. And I remember mm-hmm. even having this talk with you about how like we're pit bulls, <laughs> like we're mm-hmm. like the same breed of dog. And then it turns out that that, no, that's true. We are actually the same breed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and I mean, God, we, we talked for so long on the internet before that phone call, because I remember you were considering Boston and I recommended to you a book that my friend Maggie's grandmother had written and we we had already connected so much digitally and then we started talking on the phone and it was five years until we met in person and you came mm-hmm. to Santa Cruz where I was living, where you were born mm-hmm. and you were there for 10 days. We got to meet. You stayed in my friend Katie's tree house, like so a, cool. a real tree house made for adult humans. Um, I went with you to meet your father for the first time. Yeah. That's a part of the story of me trying to figure out my lineage was I mm-hmm. took this trip to Santa Cruz in 2014 because I wanted to meet my dad before he died. And I knew that my father lived a risky lifestyle and I should probably get on that. So I booked a ticket and I had this person I really wanted to spend time with, Callie, um, and C, who I was meeting for the first time. Mm -hmm. And Callie accompanied me to a homeless shelter in Santa Cruz to meet my dad, who I had not seen since I was four or five, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's just all the more meaningful that we come to find out. Like you go on this pilgrimage with me to meet my father <laughs> and then, you know, you intersect with me again, you know, in this other part of my pursuit to understand where I come from. Yeah. That, oh, I, I, I just, I end up speechless when I'm talking about it. You know, we have saved this information from most people in our lives because it's so exciting and we've wanted to share it together and mm-hmm. on our show. Mm-hmm. But the very few people who I've spoken to about it, I just keep saying like, yeah, I know it's wild. I know it's wild. And, you know, when I was talking to Candace the other day, uh, she started crying when I told her. And, and that was so sweet because you and I have both cried about it, you know, feeling like, oh, fuck, we're like literally family that mm-hmm. that we didn't, we weren't just born to each other and we didn't just 
choose each other. We chose each other and it turns out we were born to each other. Holy fuck. Like what flavor of soulmate is that? You know, (laughs) a blood flavor, (laughs) Mm, blood flavored souls. (laughs) I ruined the moment. (laughs) No, no. It's like, are you kidding? It's me and you like, this is exactly our flavor. (laughs) It's blood flavor. (sighs) It's wild. And I feel like it's one of those things that sounds so surreal that people are going to be like, oh, those bitches made that up, you know? No, we really didn't. <laughs> like, I think it would be cool to post, like, after the episode comes out, we can post a screenshot. We can show you that we are fifth cousins <laughs> with the DNA. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I I have felt really tingly since then. I mean, mm-hmm. when I saw the map just in and of itself, I'm like, oh, I come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, I come from really magical people. That's really fucking cool. I think all people Mm -hmm. are magical, but the particular way in which they're magical, I feel really connected to. So that works out already. It was already using those traditions and feeling just called to them. Mm -hmm. And so I, and then when I find out that, that like Callie is my cousin, I just spent the rest of the night crying, just intermittently playing Animal Crossing, crying. And then I laid in bed and watched Song of the Sea, which is a beautiful um, animated Irish movie. And there's this part where this little girl with this little, this little dark haired girl just wants to be in the sea. And I'm reflecting on how I've been just wading into the sea for the last few years without really knowing why. And almost feeling like my soul is, is just trying to swim back to something. And that's, Oh, it's such a different feeling. I've never felt like this before. I've never felt rooted to anything at all. And it's very different and very welcome. I'm crying. (laughs) I feel like you cry in every episode, which I love. I, my tears are shut down by any form of public acknowledgement. So I'll cry. (laughs) Like you've seen me cry. I cry a lot. I cried a lot yesterday. Um, but yeah, the mics go on and I'm like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I rejected the romanticization. Romanticization. Right? Romanticizing. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I rejected it for a long time because to me it felt cliche and like, Mm -hmm. you know, my my grandpa always wore like a pen on St. Patrick's day that said, kiss me, I'm Irish. And Mm -hmm. I was like, ugh, whatever. And you know, my, my great grandfather on my mother's side was born in Ireland. Like I have, I'm a very recent ancestor in that line, Mm -hmm. uh, as far as Americans go. And I just didn't vibe with it. It didn't feel special. It felt like, ugh, everybody is like, only like, I, I love it. (laughs) triquetra or whatever, you know, an Irish knot. Oh. And then when I found out how much of my heritage is Irish, which for me, I think it's something it's, it's between 60 and 70%. Um, and I also know exactly the names of my ancestors who came over. It started to feel more real. And when I got to Ireland last year, you know, my, my trip to Europe, um, was a year ago. 
I had never felt in my body a sense of belonging in a place. To be fair, I'm on stolen land, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, But being in a place where my ancestors were born, the sense of belonging was so intense. And I started just absolutely falling in love with Irish culture. And which is not to say that like, you know, now I am somehow more Irish. Like I'm still an American person, but I have such a deeper appreciation and understanding. And I do think it's really magical now, but I think it's funny. You and I had a lot of opposite experiences in coming to know our genetic heritage. And I can't wait to find what pair of grandparents we share. You know, that's why I started building out your family tree Mm -hmm. because I have mine built up pretty far. And so hopefully we don't hit a dead end that gets in the way of that. But, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of time and hours spent sifting through paperwork. I so appreciate you doing that sifting and it's, it's really wonderful to get these updates from Callie that's like, oh, here's a picture of your grandmother when she was 16. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> I, all right. I never thought I'd see that. Um, you know, and I resonate with a lot of what you're saying. It's like, I'm not going to be like, hey guys, I'm re-identifying myself. I'm Irish. No, I'm not. Like I'm right. an American. I'm very American. My ancestors are from Ireland. And a lot of the like Irish pride and Viking pride and all of these prides just has really felt like white supremacy to me a lot. Mm. And I think that that's, um, yeah, there's something there. (laughs) There's something big there. And I want to be able to balance um, investigating my ancestral line, understanding Mm -hmm. where my people come from, what traditions I come from, honoring those and also making a ton of room for critical analysis of what my ancestors did. Because a lot of what you have uncovered is, let's see, well, we're getting into it in the Patreon <laughs> content, so I won't tell you. But surprise, surprise, I'm a white person who comes from colonizers. Oh, big surprise there, right? So I yeah. think that I really want to temper my romanticism with a due diligence to understand the harm that came when my ancestors immigrated. Something I said in the Patreon that I will repeat is that as, you know, as Irish people, uh, our ancestors were both colonized and colonizers, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's a complicated uh, genealogical history that I'm excited to know more about, but not without a good amount of balance. Yeah, I... I hope in a future episode um, to tell more of the story of the the Irish struggle because I didn't know about any of it until I was there. So I was 30 years old when I learned why my ancestors fled. Um, And it's a horrifying story. And just the amount of history that as Americans, we are completely ignorant to is astounding. And for me, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the ancestral work and finding my roots that I do is me unsettling myself because as a white person, I can't decolonize myself. I am a colonizer. I am a white person living on land that has never belonged to me or my family, but 
I can unsettle myself, at least I can try. So, mm-hmm. you know, as I, as I was saying to you in the Patreon content, which we recorded before this. So at the end of this episode, you'll hear me give a spoiler for the Patreon content and it's Amber's actual genuine reaction because we recorded <laughs> it first. Um, but in that content, I said that it's really different to be a white person in America and to say like, oh, I know that my ancestors likely, you know, participated in the national shame of enslavement. It's really different, I say, from firsthand experience to find out that there are receipts of your family purchasing human beings. Yeah. That was a shocking experience for me. I didn't think it would be, but to know that my blood has benefited from that in some way, um, it forces you to take responsibility in a way that I wouldn't have guessed, you know, Mm -hmm. you would think that just knowing that, uh, racism is an issue (laughs) would really drive it home. It is very different to have physical proof that you have benefited from this thing. So I think that this is a, a big topic that's becoming bigger right now for good reason. You know, more and more people are finding out about their genetic heritage and, I know actually some people are afraid of finding out they have, you know, family members they didn't know that they had. And there are all sorts of wild stories out there. You know, I've seen people finding their biological siblings because their parents went to the same sperm bank. And then there's a story of these people meeting and the sperm donor meets his biological daughter and her mother ends up falling in love with him. And now they're a family. So it's like her biological father becomes her adopted father. There are crazy things that can happen, but you know, as scary as it is, holy shit, how magical is it that through embracing the fear of the unknown, we've found out that like this thing that you and I have been so drawn to each other and always said like, God, I really feel like you're this sister that I never had to find out that we're actually related is so validating and just beyond belief to me. I'm still in shock about it. Yeah. It's very intense shadow work. I'm going to, I'm just going to bring it back to that really, because yeah, as you're talking, I'm reflecting on how the shadow is, misunderstood, which does not mean that I have total mastery over what shadow work is or can be. Yeah. But I've learned that there are really precious things that are cast away in the shadow. So let's say that Mm -hmm. you are a very uh, outspoken young woman, right? But you're shamed into staying quiet. Well, your outspokenness and your vitality is then cast into your shadow. So it's not just Mm -hmm. as simple as, oh, all your shame and grief and pain and trauma live in your shadow. A lot of really wonderful aspects of ourselves land in the shadow. This season is really about shadow work for me and the genealogical research I knew would be shadow work. I was Mm going to find things in there that would be mm, the light and the dark, that it was going to be all mixed up. 
so yeah, that's certainly turning out to be true. <laughs> you know, I'm like thinking about, mm -hmm. you know, what does genealogical research have to do with witchcraft and mental health? You know, what, why are we, you know, using this intentional space other than like these cool factoids to connect <laughs> our listeners to this process, you know? And for mm -hmm. me, this is about me really understanding myself. If mm -hmm. I am, you know, working thresholds, if I am guiding people through transformation so that they can know themselves, when does that get to happen for me? When do I get to do that? And uh, how vital would it be to me if I did do that? You know, like these are the questions that I have been facing this year. And I want to be more connected to myself so that I am more effective in part. It's not just for my clients, right? But in part so that when I am working with the shadows of others, I know the difference between their shadow and mine because sometimes that gets really muddy. Yeah. So uh, I digress. <laughs> it, well, I, I think the more that we understand the facts about who we are, the, the more we can undo, mm, maybe not undo, prevent furthering damage. And mm -hmm. the more we can heal, I mean, our ancestral lines, the more we can become healthy ancestors. And I think as witches, it's incredibly important that we are critical of where we're pulling our practices from. Mm -hmm. There's so much appropriation in the spiritual world, um, which I, when I say the spiritual world, of course, I mean us earthbound people, and how we utilize spirituality. I don't mean that spirits are appropriating anything. Um, <laughs> this isn't some poltergeist shit I'm discussing. But there are a lot of stolen practices that benefit us white folks, you know. And it's really important that we are looking into our practices with care. Mm -hmm. That is one of the reasons that I was so drawn to tarot as my entry point for being a witch really, because I knew that it was something that belonged to so many cultures mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to be stealing it. It's, I mean, the universal language of symbology. Right. Right. Which, you know, does have roots in the places that our ancestors came from, <laughs> which is also convenient. <laughs> Although I do, I do firmly believe that tarot is for all for sure. Absolutely. And we go into, you know, the history of tarot and its its origins and everything in our, I think it's our second episode. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't heard that, please go back and take a listen. <laughs> but I mean, I feel like we end up in every episode being like, yep, shadow work, got to do it. And also symbols and um, therapy. <laughs> we have a very consistent theme for sure. Shadow work is our brand. <laughs> it is. And light work. I really, I would like to lean into that more. Mm -hmm. Um, in part because like 
as meta as this sounds, light work is in my shadow. I hate it. I hate love and light shit. I really do. And also I impose that on myself as evidenced by the way that I am reactive to parts of my shadow being uh, mirrored back at me. I really don't like it. So at some point I decided that I had to just be all love and light to be loved and accepted, right? And that's definitely not sustainable long-term. So really like the integration of the light and the dark, the uniting of the opposites, which at this point in my spiritual development is not going to be complete unless I know where my ancestors are from. It's just Mm -hmm. like, it has felt like a barrier to going forward for me. I don't think it's a barrier for everybody to not know that information, but for me, I needed to know where my Mm -hmm. ancestors were rooted. And now I just can't wait to keep going on this path. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, feel like so opposite from you in that way, in that, you know, I describe myself as aggressively optimistic. (laughs) At the same time, I live with really severe depression and I am nihilistic as fuck, but I, like, I also say that I'm optimistically nihilistic. Like, me acknowledging that we all die, I always feel really good about <laughs> about that, which is not to say I want to die. <laughs> but, you know, embracing the part of me that I view as unlovable or difficult or, you know, as having any needs whatsoever, that is so hard for me. And... It's something I've been working on really intensely this year. I know that I get a lot of balance in that way in my friendship and familyship with you. And I don't know. It's it's just interesting to reflect on how balanced our personalities are together. You know, like for example, I have literally no fire in my astral chart whatsoever. And... I'm, you know, I'm a Virgo, I'm a Cap rising, I've got a Libra moon. And I know that, you know, you do have some Virgo, but you're not a heavily earthy chart yourself. Are you kidding? I'm mostly fire. It's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so tired of it. I was like my kingdom for a water sign, just anywhere in my chart. Uh, I think that also the reason that I'm so drawn to the ocean is I'm so hot. I'm so hot tempered. <laughs> I'm just like trying to cool myself down all the time. Yeah. You really embrace that ice element, you know? I, I really like to be cold. I'm actually trying to figure out if it's a sensory need. I really, really feel much better when my hands and my feet are cold. And I don't know why that would be the case, but it's probably a sensory thing. So... We'll figure it out. Um, you know, Callie, to to bring us to a place of integration and resolution, I wonder if we could just share with our listeners about where we're planning to take this information. Mm. Well, we're really excited to explore Celtic heritage and to share that with you all. 
And we plan on doing essentially a series where we talk to you about our, our research into the Celtic side of paganism and witchcraft. Of course, we're not only going to be limited to specifically Celtic things um, because this is a podcast about magic and mental health, not Ireland. Yes. <laughs> but we... Uh, we're currently biding our time as we're separate from everyone in our lives by planning a trip to the British Isles for fall 2021. I can't wait. I can't wait. So we're like, we have like choosing backpacks and making Pinterest boards and I'm researching uh, different pre-Christian slash pagan ritual sites and getting very excited. My Irish uh, ancestry is concentrated in County Kerry and Cork. So I'm very stoked to see those parts. And then in Britain, it's all concentrated in um, London for the most part. So that's like shooting fish in a barrel. That's an easy one. There's a lot of uh, mm. uh, information about London. So yeah, the British Isles, man. I want to see some sea stacks. I want to see some islands. <laughs> I want to I want to go to some thin places that I've been reading about where the veil is really thin. I'm so stoked to go back. I did not get to go to the southern part of Ireland when I was there last year and I fell completely in love with Scotland while I was there for a very short period of time. And I didn't go to England at all except to pass through on a connecting flight. So I'm stoked to go back. I got in touch yesterday with my friend Graham Merrigan, who has an award-winning podcast called What's the Story? And uh, that's based in Ireland, where he's from. And I asked him, <laughs> I asked good Catholic Irish Graham, so if you know any like pagan historians or anything? And he, in his, you know, very charming Irish accent said, ah, uh, no but I'll ask around. Um, but we, we've got some scouts on the ground. Uh, of course, if anybody has any suggestions of people for us to connect with or places to see, please reach out, let us know. And um, I also want to say, you know, we're planning this trip now. You know, right now I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent in like two days, but I know I'm going to figure it out. And I used to believe that travel was an extreme luxury. I assumed that airfare was always, you know, $2,000 each way if you wanted to go overseas. And what I found last year when I was unemployed, freshly traumatized, and really needed to just go somewhere, uh, is that if you've got a couple pennies to rub together and a very strong will and very low expectations, <laughs> you can, you can travel. So I want to say that it is absolutely a luxury. It is a privilege and I don't know how I'm going to pay rent, but you know what? I'm going to get to Ireland next year. We're I'm going to do get, it. We're going to get there. I mean, yes, I have a career and I, yes, I have a fairly dependable income, but still like mm -hmm. we live in fucking Seattle. It is expensive to live here. It's so expensive. Yes. And, um, you know, working in private practice isn't always consistent. If a bunch of people cancel on me w one week, well, oh, well, 
no, I'm not getting paid for that, am I? So, (laughs) so, and it's plague times and it's plague times. So people are in my experience. Yeah. They're all over the place. So, uh, all to say that it's not going to be easy for us to make this trip in any way. And also we're very determined to do it. I don't think that a trip like this gets to be easy unless you are (laughs) making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and you have a lot of time and a lot of space and a lot of advantage, um, which neither of us particularly do. So I imagine at some point, you know, we'll do fundraising or something. Who knows? Speaking of ways you can support us in this endeavor, if you would like to contribute to us being able to visit the motherland, as we're calling it, you can take a trip over to patreon.com slash the pocket coven, and you'll get access to our exclusive Patreon bonus content. Stay tuned for the end of this episode where we give you just a little bit of a hint at what we're covering. It's pretty exciting. And honestly, we could have done an entire episode on it. So (laughs) I highly recommend it. And the other way that you can support us is by following the link to our BetterHelp sponsorship. It gives us a kickback. It gets you therapy. It's win-win. Yeah. And, you know, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, Just just leave us a little blurb. I know it can be kind of annoying. I'm, I'm actually really crappy at that. I'm like, I love your podcast, but I've never said anything you know, <laughs> to some of my favorite podcasters, but I'm starting to change that habit now that I'm a podcaster myself and I understand how helpful it is. And the reviews are just lovely. It's just really nice to feel like the energy and, and intention we're putting out into the world is being received. Oh, yeah. You sent me that screenshot of that super sweet review yesterday. And it says like, I have the pleasure of knowing Callie and Amber in person. And we're both like, who said that? Like who wrote this beautiful review? So friend, whoever you are, we want to know. Yeah. Text us, tell, tell us. And well, thank you for the review. <laughs> Call me, beat me. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week. If you would like to join us for our Patreon extended cut, you will get to hear the story of Amber's seventh great aunt who was known as the Black Widow of Hazel Green. What? (laughs) I'm so excited to tell you about it. Oh my gosh, I just hit my microphone. Okay, (laughs) tell me